It's good to be with you today. Week one of Have You Seen the Giant? And uh, over the next uh, few weeks, I want to unpack. Um, I want to. I want to unpack overcoming fear in our lives. Chris did a phenomenal job uh, for New Year's Eve uh, going through David and Goliath. But I want to. I want to take some time in it. There are so many different life principles. Um, from the underdog story of David and Goliath. Um, show of hands, how many people familiar with the story? At least you know the, the very, the essence of it, right? Short boy, tall guy, stone, ground, and, and, and game over, right? <laughs> but I, I want to, like I said, I want to get into the details. I want to unpack it a little bit more. Just so many great nuggets. And um, how many people, uh, let, let me see it, let me see it, because we've been wanting you to bring your Bible. Put your Bibles in there like you just do care. Come on, who got the Bible? <laughs> All right. The, the people who didn't bring it, I know you care, too. So no worries. No worries. All right. Uh, have you seen the giant? Um, let's get ready to take some notes. I want to give you context before we get into David and Goliath. Uh, the chosen people of God since the days of Joshua, Joshua led them into the promised land. And uh, it's, it's been about a 400 year span from Joshua to the scene that we're about to step into here with Goliath. Um, and Joshua felt to raise up leaders in Israel. Moses did a phenomenal job. Moses raised up Joshua and his generation. Joshua led them in, but he didn't raise up leaders. So Israel falls into 400 years of instability um, due to unhealthy leadership. And so what God would do in his sovereignty is he, he raised up judges. Someone say Judges. And um, these judges would have the spirit of God and the power of God rest on them to deliver them from their enemies, the Philistines and, and the, the Ammonites and all these different ites and all this. And so a judge would rise up, defeat their enemies. Um, the children of Israel would have peace 20, 30, 40 years, and then uh, they would be back in bondage. The Midianites would put them in bondage. God would raise up Gideon, and God raised up this phenomenal woman named uh, Deborah, and, and then he raised up Samson. Any, anyone heard of Samson? Where well, I was just reading that story the other day, I'm like, Samson was an idiot. Um, <laughs> It's like, why would you tell her your secret, bro? Like, that's ridiculous. Like, and so anyway, but these judges created instability. And the Bible says that during these 400 years, um, everyone thought that what they thought was the right thing. So if I thought something was right, it was right. If you thought something different and it was right, it was right to you. It was, it was all relative to whatever the individual felt like. And so as a result, there was instability in the camp. So God raises up a, a, a young boy named Samuel. Um, Samuel's mother, Hannah, had uh, issues becoming pregnant. And so one day she went to the temple. She cried her heart out. And the high priest, Eli, said, the Lord has heard your prayer. You're going to get pregnant soon. And you are to name him Samuel. And, um, but you won't be able to raise him. So God's going to give you this miracle. Then you're going to dedicate the miracle back to God. You're only going to see him a few times throughout the year over the course of his life. I'm going to give you this son, but I'm raising him up to be a national prophet and to lead my people out of instability because it's been a mess for 400 years. And so Samuel was raised under Eli's tutelage in the temple. He becomes the greatest judge Israel ever had. He becomes high priest and a prophet. And then the people, they don't want God's leadership anymore. 
So they don't want a theocracy. They want to be like the rest of the nations of the world. You got to understand something. The children of Israel in the Old Testament represent today's church. So they want it to be like the world. They said, give us a king. And as God often does, whenever we ask him for something that we really want and it's outside of his will, he's like, all right, you can have it. Right. He does that to teach us a lesson. So he gives them a king, but he tells them before he gives them King Saul, it's not going to turn out well. This guy is going to put you under severe bondage. And so Saul is handsome and he's tall. He looks like a king, but he doesn't have the character of a king. And so Saul starts out strong. Then he starts to disobey the Lord. The Lord removes his spirit and his favor from Saul and more instability is created. And so God finally says, I found a man after my own heart. And this man he was referring to was a teenager by the name of David. David was 15 years old because he said, this generation doesn't get it. So I got to move on to the next generation. And so it's a beautiful story. You should go home and read it. First Samuel 16. David is out in the field. He's on his current assignment. He's being excellent. But little does he know the eyes of God is on him and he's the next king. And so Samuel fills up his flask with oil to anoint the new king. And he goes to Jesse's house. Jesse has eight boys. David is the baby boy. All seven pass through and, the, and, and Samuel's like, oh, man, he's handsome. He's good looking. He's, he's strong. He's tall. He looks smart. And God's like, no, nah, it ain't him. Oh, that, that, he got the good hair. He got real good hair. He got the eyes. He got brown. God's like, no, nah, that ain't him. He, 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 he empty. Uh, he, no, nah, that ain't him. And so even the prophet is missing who God has picked. And so finally, he's like, do you have any more sons? And Jesse's like, I got the baby boy. He's outside with the sheep. I mean, they got, I mean, it's decked out. They got lamb and, and, and it's all the delicacies of the day. Like Samuel was coming to town. So Jesse had his table ready to go. He didn't expect to have to invite his baby boy to dinner. Right. So here comes David. The Bible says handsome and ruddy. That means handsome and red or handsome and dark. And he's all dirty. He's coming from his assignment. He's like, Dang, I know I was invited to this dinner. This is awesome. Why'd y'all invite me? I'm just out here doing my thing. And the Lord told Samuel, he said, it's him right here. It's him. And he said, anoint him. This is my future king. So David was going to be the greatest king that Israel ever had to current date. This is historical fact. Um, under David's leadership, Israel's territory expanded the most. I mean, he, he, he wrote songs and he wrote prayers. He wrote the book of Psalms. He killed Goliath. David was a phenomenal man and his failures were also great as well. But whenever David failed, he also repented and came back to the Lord. An amazing man. I can't wait to meet him in heaven. So that's the context. And we're going to step into 1 Samuel 17. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles. Get over to 1 Samuel 17. And um, if you don't have it, we'll provide it on the screen. Verse 1 says this here. The Philistines now muster their army for battle. And camp between Soko and Judah and Ezekah. Saul, King Saul, countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. 
He was over nine feet tall. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. He, he wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 120 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Now, this blew my mind because, bro, you're already nine feet tall. You got all this armor, you have all these weapons, and you still have someone in front of you. Like, you have a little sidekick in front of you with a shield, right? And so it just tickles me too, And I mean, come on now. He's supposed to have this on lock by itself. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? The Phil- I am the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. This was contextually the case back in this day. Um, armies didn't want to lose a lot of men. So in order to prevent that, you sent your best man. They sent their best man. Whoever won, won that battle. Okay. And so he says this here, verse 10, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Terrified and deeply shaken. I want to ask you a key question. Um, What do you do when fear has you at a standstill? What do you do when fear has you at a standstill? Some of you are in that season right now where you want to move forward, but you're timid in in a specific situation, in in a certain scenario. And you know that God has called you to move forward in it, to have the conversation, to put in the application, to make the move, to whatever it is, God has put it on your heart. But for whatever reason, fear and doubt has you at a standstill. Some of you, you're in an invincible season where you're just going for it. You're dreaming big. You're stepping out on faith. You're seeing God move. But as the old saying goes, um, some of us have just come out of a storm. Some of us are about to enter a storm. Some of us are currently in a storm. So whether you're in a fearful season right now or not, it's just good to kind of lean into this and soak in this, this message because you're going to have to face fear consistently throughout the course of your life. And so what is a standstill? Go ahead and write this down. It's a situation in which there is no movement or activity at all. That's a standstill. And the Bible says that the Israelites have been denied by, by Goliath for 40 days. This has been over a month that they've just been gathering on their hill, looking across the valley at the Philistines hill, and they're just there not making a move because they're afraid. And fear has talked so many people out of the glorious future that God has for them. And because we're going to work and, 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 and we're going to school and we're doing our thing every day, we think we're moving forward. But the truth of the matter is, is that we're not stepping out on our full potential. And it's because in the back of our minds, we're afraid or there's been some past trauma that's pulling us back and saying, you better not fight Goliath, because if you do, this is going to be the end of you. 
And so some, some of us are at a standstill and it's just important that we zone out of the story and pull out some life principles so we can gain some clarity in order to move forward. So I just got two big points today. Okay, is that fine? I got two big points. The first point is this. If you're going to break through a standstill, you have to first understand, number one, you have to first, I'm sorry, expect opposition. You got to expect, someone say expect it. You got to expect opposition consistently in this life. There's no way around it. Um, yes, you've given your heart to Christ, but that does not mean that all of your problems are just going to dissolve. As a matter of fact, when you came to Jesus, you became a bigger target for the opposition, right? So the Israelites had Goliath, but we have a spiritual enemy. We, we, we have a spiritual enemy. And the enemy's main goal, this is so vital for you to understand, is to stop your advancement. That's his main goal. Right? This is what we're picking up in the story. Goliath is there, and the children of God are not moving forward. Simply because he's present. All he has to do is show up. Right? And so the enemy's main goal is to stop your advancement. And a lot of us, we set new goals for a new year, right? I want to be financially free. I want to get in shape. I want my relationships to be healthy. A, B, C, X, Y, Z. And the enemy takes note of that. And your goals then become his assignment. Oh, they want to be financially free. Okay, good. So Satan's like, um, poverty demon, debt demon, get on that. Depression demon, get on that. Worry demon, get on that, right? Oh, they, they want to they wanna strengthen their marriage. Divorce demon, get on that, right? Unfaithful demon, lying demon, get on that, right? Because his main goal is to oppose any advancement. You want to be set free from, from certain addictions and sins, that addiction demon, get on that. I just need you to show up. Because as soon as they try to make a step forward in that direction, here's the opposition pushing back. Okay? And so it says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. This is Paul to the church in Ephesus. He says this here. For we are not fighting against Goliath. <laughs> Goliath is not your problem. The fear, the concern, the worry is not your problem. You're not fighting against your boss. You're not fighting against your classmate, your, your coworker. You're not fighting against your mom, your dad, or your husband. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Right? This, someone say the word of God. This is the Lord. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Someone say that. Unseen. Unseen. That's important for you to understand. It's important for you to attach your value system to this truth. Because a lot of you think it's people and just random chance and circumstance. No, Paul is saying that there is an angelic realm who fights for you and with you. And there is a demonic realm that opposes every dream and aspiration that the Lord has put on your heart. And you're fighting against rulers 
and authorities in the unseen world. Riddle me this. Can you see oxygen with your naked eye? Can you see hydrogen? Does that mean it does not exist? It exists because we understand the impact that it has on us in this very moment. We're breathing it in and we're breathing it out. Carbon dioxide, so on and so forth, right? Just because you don't see the enemy, it doesn't mean he's not extremely prevalent and intentional in your life. Every single morning that you put your two feet on the ground, he's already standing at the edge of your bed. You have to understand that in the unseen, someone say unseen world, unseen Uh, unseen, because a lot of us are trapped in the thought of man. Life is just so practical and so natural and so fleshly. Life is just here and now and me and us and we and do what you want. But you don't even realize that you're in the middle of an eternal battle. And it's a battle for your soul, number one, and then your dreams. In your calling, in your assignment. I once heard someone say this. If Satan cannot keep you from Jesus, which he is the only way to heaven. If you get to Jesus, his next thought, his next goal is to make you a miserable believer. And so this is why the world, it makes it hard for them to come to Christ because they often look at Christians and Christians are worried. We're miserable and we're never advancing. Because though the devil couldn't keep you away from Jesus, he's going to oppose you as soon as you wake up. So let's get back to the text. The reason I'm I'm pressing in here is because what is that first word of the point? Expect. You got to expect opposition, right? It's nothing worth having is going to be handed to you. It's a fight. Someone say, I'm in a fight. I'm, I'm, I'm in a fight. Let's keep reading. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in heavenly places. So so here's the thought. Let's zone out. Go ahead and write this down. God wants to advance me. The enemy wants to oppose me. But how does he do it, Pastor? I, I get that. I understand that. But how does he do it? Well, this is what he does. He engrafts himself. For my married couples, in your marriage, and he annoys, and he irritates, and he plants seeds of doubt, seeds of unfaithfulness, and he just simply uses his words. That's what the enemy does. And he always makes you feel as though you're missing out on something or that God has kept something away from you i.e. the garden. If you eat the fruit, you will be like God. They had everything that they needed, everything that they could ever want. But what did he do? He engrafted himself into that marriage. And he just simply planted a suggestion. Wow. He engrafts himself. He, he, he eats at your irritations. Man, I'm so upset with life. I hate life. Oh, man, life's so hard. And what does he do? He said, oh, yeah, that attracts the enemy. Whenever we complain, let me help you complain a little bit more. Yeah, life is hard, ain't it? Oh, man, life sucks. These people, they don't care. Yeah, they don't care. They don't care about you. Oh, yeah, yeah, they don't care. That's him. 
Because, because every thought you have, understand this, does not come from you, nor does it come from God. There is a third party at play. And you have to have the spiritual discernment. What did Jesus pray in the Lord's Prayer? Lord, and, and keep us from evil, right? Protect us from the evil one, right? What was he saying? Give us discernment to understand when he speaks. So that here it is, I don't enter into temptation. What is temptation? Temptation is sent by the enemy to get you outside of the will of God and outside of the good plan of God. So he said in the Lord's prayer, protect us from the evil one. Give us discernment. He engrafts himself. And another thing Goliath represents, watch this, y'all, is the enemy is always on his A game. Why does the Bible give us such detailed description of what he has on? Why is that even important? Bro, you could have just left it at he was nine feet tall. That's scary enough. But he talks about gold, you know, the armor and the bronze and 125 pounds and a javelin, you know, 15 inches long and an iron tip. God goes through all of the details. You have to understand this so that you understand that as soon as you wake up, the enemy is on his A game and you're on your DNF game. And he ain't coming to play games. Because Revelations tells us that the enemy's destiny is the lake of fire and brimstone. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that, and Jesus actually said this, he said that hell was not created for humans. And this is why I died for you. It wasn't created for you. Hell was created for Satan and his angels is what Jesus said. So if I know I'm going to hell, I'm going to try to bring you with me or I'm going to try to make you miserable as hell before I get. Can somebody put your hands together? You are up against a spiritual enemy that is against everything that God wants to do in your life. So stop blaming people. And understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities in the heavenly realms. Oh, man, why do we fast for 21 days in January? It's this story in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, where Daniel wanted to hear from the Lord about a vision. And so as a result, what, he, what did he do? Because he couldn't hear. It was the world and the doctrines of demons and the wind that's out there in the world was trying to fill his heart and fill his mind. So what did he do? He stopped eating so that he could block out the distractions so that he could hear from the Lord. And the Bible says that on day 21, the angel broke through the demonic ranks. And when he got to Daniel, he told him, he said, Man, look, God heard you day one. You started praying. But you pressed in for three weeks. He said, bro, let me just let you know what was going on. The prince of Persia was denying me access to get you the blessing. What is the prince of Persia? It's a demonic principality over a region. Had you not continued to press in in faith, you wouldn't have got this breakthrough. So... Daniel teaches us that there is a spiritual realm that you're consistently up against. It's not just everything that we see. And Goliath represents the enemy's A game. And he's been sent to oppose every dream. And you have to understand that. Number two, 
because Goliath is hurling these insults, number two, you got to win the mind game. You got to win the mind game. How do I break through a standstill? It starts here. It starts in the mind. Wow. You got to win. The, someone say win the mind game. Win the mind game. Let's study the enemy because that's, that's what Goliath represents. Says this here. Goliath stood and shout, shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? Here it is. Watch this, guys. Pay attention. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only. Someone say only. only. Someone say only. only. You are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. I'm a champ. You're only. What is he playing? Mind games. Not your family. Not you. Not you. You're, you're Hispanic. That's for white people. Not you. You're black. That's for Jewish people. Not you. You're Jewish. They hate you right now in this season. Don't even go outside. Not you. You're too young. You're too old. You're single. Not you. Your marriage is teetering on the brink of divorce. I am the Philistine champion, and you're only. What is it, guys? He hasn't thrown a punch. He hasn't used a weapon. What is he throwing? Mm. You got to catch this stuff. I'm going to have so much fun this series. He's minimizing their thinking with his words. Let me, let me help you here. The enemy's greatest weapon, write this down, it won't come up, is discouragement. It's a mind game. It's not that you're at a standstill. It's that the enemy has clogged your mind so much that you feel that the only thing to do is to do nothing. And the only thing the devil has done has thrown out words. So you're like, I'm good with my nine to five. I'm good with my debt. I'm good with my secret addiction. I'm good because I'm afraid of what it's going to. If I try this, I'm going to find out that I'm only. When you're way more than only. And the enemy knows that. The enemy knows that if you're in Christ, the Bible says that you're more than a conqueror. Right. I've never been in a fight like that. But don't try me. I've never been in a fight. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) Don't do that to yourself. I got security. I wouldn't fight you. I've never been in a fight, but for those of us who have been in a fight or have witnessed a fight, we've recognized like the one that does the most talking is two things. Number one, they can't fight. And number two, they were afraid all along. So they were using their words as deflection. Goliath can't fight. The enemy can't fight. You have all the power. You have the victory. You have the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And it's the devil who's out in the world. The Bible says as a roaring lion, as a roaring lion. He doesn't even bite. He just. That's all he does. Yeah, he got a little Simba. 
But we give the devil a microphone. It's like, oh, you know. And it's like, ow. But that, that's all he does. He, that's why you're at a, can I help you? That's why you're at a standstill. Because it's here. And let me encourage you as your pastor. You're okay. Make that move. Make that jump. Have that discussion. Pray that prayer. Apply. Go for it. If you get a no, if you fail, whatever. Right? You never lose. You only learn. Get some accountability. You want freedom? Get some accountability in your life. No one's here to judge you. You just need, you need some help. You fall, at least that person is there to pick you up. But you need to let someone know what's going on. Don't let the devil keep you in that standstill. So, so how do I win the mind game, Pastor? Uh, I'm glad you asked. Number one, understand this, that prayer is where we receive the peace of God. Prayer is essential in winning the mind game. Right. What did it say? What did it say in verse 11? When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. This tells us something about the text. Are y'all here? I'm not boring you, am I? This tells us something about the text. This tells us that they were not cultivating faith in the camp. They were nurturing fear. Oh, my God. Do you see him? You see him? You see him? Who, Who? King Saul, the tallest one, and he the king. Why don't we fight him? I don't know. You see him? You all right? You see him? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. If we go, we're going to be their slaves. They're just cultivating. They're nurturing the negativity. Do you have any friends that do that? They're always glass half empty. Right? What you have to do as a believer of Christ is you got to back up. Because obviously, Goliath's the fear is not going anywhere. It's been there for a month and a half. Right. The issue in your marriage is not going anywhere. You're going to wake up tripping again. You got to back up. Jesus said, back up. He said, get in your prayer closet. For at least 10 or 15 minutes, guys, if you're going to win the mind game, Jesus said, shut the door. And this is the best thing you can do. Put on a little worship music. Just put on some worship. Humble yourself. And tell God what's going on. Do we do that? Do we do that enough as Christians? Just five or ten minutes. No, I'll tell you what we do. We try to we try to win in the flesh. Oh, man, this sucks. Okay, okay, I got this. Let me let me go to the gym. Let me work out. Let me. All right, I got this. Two days later. Ah. Oh, I'm so tired. I'm so discouraged. All right, I got this. I'll press through. I'll press through. I got to grind. I got to I gotta hustle. Gotta... No, no, no. You're doing it in your own flesh, so you're ending up with the same results. The Bible says, close the door. And what God can do in your spirit and in your mind in 10 minutes is a lot more than what you can do in the gym for 10 days. So it's a lot more than, come on now, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot more. There was no peace in the camp. If you don't have peace, how can you face your fear? So let me give you a verse, okay? All right, all right, the Amplified Translation, Philippians. Do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, Every circumstance and situation, every, someone say every, 
by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific, someone say specific, requests known to God. And here it is, in the peace of God, that peace which reassures the heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus is yours. What is Paul saying? He's saying back off of it. Goliath ain't going nowhere. That financial thing, it's not going. Pray. As a matter of fact, let me, let me coach you with this. Thank God for Goliath. Next week, he's your, I know he's your biggest opponent. I know the strain in your marriage is hard, but it's also your greatest opportunity. Goliath was David's greatest opportunity. He was nothing to be afraid of. Can I shift your perspective? What if you overcame the fear? What if God gave you the peace and the clarity and the wherewithal to say, I'm going to give you the victory? But you can only find that clarity and that revelation in God's presence, which is in prayer. Now let's, let's, now let's build our minds up. Let's fortify. Someone say fortify. Let's build our minds up. Here it is. Thank you, Paul. Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually, someone say continually, continually on these things, center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. So what I can't wait to bring David into the story because he's going to live this out. Oh, he going to show up causing trouble. Them haters going to be hating hard. They going to be like, you only came here to start trouble. Nah, y'all scared. Y'all are scared. And I'm not scared of that knucklehead. He going to come in there like, so, so what, what's the reward for defeating him? What do I get for killing this giant? The rest of them are so afraid. They're not even thinking about the dream. They're not even thinking about the greatness of what God can do against Goliath. They're just, come on now. Man. So, so what is David thinking on? David is thinking on, man, if I overcome this, what's the reward? What's the excellence that's going to be released into my life? If I truly do get consistent in the gym, if I really get on my budget, if I really start praying, if I really start getting into the word of God, if I really start to get on fire for God, man, what could my life look like instead of being afraid? Man, what can my life really look like? What is Paul saying? He's saying, fix your mind on the possibilities. Man, and, and would y'all join me in that? Yeah. God, man, let me tell you something. You are in a house of faith. And, and I pray that the faith that, that pervades through this house would get on the inside of your heart and that you would have the revelation to know and to understand that there's nothing impossible for you in Christ Jesus. And whenever you can lock into that thought and lock into that truth, you'll face every single fear. And you'll no longer see it as something to fear, but you'll see it as an opportunity to overcome every obstacle that the enemy puts in your way. Can we celebrate the word of God just a little bit? You got to build your faith. We got to stop being weak. Man, 
Jesus didn't raise from the grave for us to be afraid. Come on. And then, and then the second big thought, how do you win the mind game? I'm going a little bit over. Is that okay? All right. Number, number two here is understand this, that scripture washes out the enemy's lies with truth and God's promises. Scripture, you got to filter out the lies with the word of God. You got to filter it out. Paul calls them winds, teachings of devils. They they just, they're out there. They're out there. And they're on YouTube, they're on Instagram. They're everywhere, right? And they just come into the ear gates. You got to wash out all that stuff with the word of God. Can, can, can Can I help us a little bit? I want to give us three verses to start washing out the fear. Someone say, wash out the fear. All right, so now open your hearts. Here it is. Let's wash out the fear, okay? Deuteronomy 31. This is the word of God for your life. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Do not be afraid. Someone say, do not be afraid. Isaiah 41. For I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord your God. And I say to you, don't be afraid. I am here to help you. And then these are the words of Christ. Open your heart. Receive this. Let's let's wash out the fear. Let's wash it out. Here it is. I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. Here it is. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wash it out. Wash it out. Wash it out. So don't be troubled or afraid. Can we celebrate the word of God? Come on now, let's celebrate. Don't be troubled or afraid. 